Bibles, if you would please, this morning again, Exodus chapter 19. We'll read a few verses to refresh our minds about where we are in this passage, and then we'll move forward to chapter 20. Exodus chapter 19, second book of the Bible, if you're still learning your Bibles. And so, right after the book of Genesis, Exodus chapter 19, let's all stand to our feet, if we could please, in honor of the Word of God this morning. Exodus chapter 19, verse number 1. In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. So remember, three months after Israel was brought out of their captivity in Egypt, which we mentioned last week is a picture of us being delivered from our sin, the captivity to it, our captivity to the world, those things that God delivered us from when He saved us. On the third month after He delivered them, the Bible says in verse number 2, For they were departed from Rephidim and were come to the desert of Sinai and had pitched in the wilderness, and there Israel camped before the mount. And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bare you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. For all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. So God, remember, has saved and delivered His people, but now He wants them to be closer. He says, remember that I brought you out of Egypt and I drew you unto Myself. And now I'm asking you to take another step. He said, I want to make out of you a peculiar treasure unto Me. And He said, all the things of the earth are Mine, but you are what I long to possess. And so He asks them to do some things. He says, if we're going to walk closer, if we're going to be closer, if it's going to be more than just being delivered, if you're going to be more than just being saved and on your way to heaven, there are some things that God will bring all Christians to. Some points of decision that all of us are faced with on our walk with God. And one of the first he mentions here in, let's see here, verse number, let's pick it up in verse number 9. And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee, and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. The Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people, and what? Sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes, and be ready against the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. Chapter 20. So last week we looked at the decision point of sanctification. The process of sanctification. Now we look at the next step. He told them to go clean themselves up. And now, now He asked them to do something else. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Not that crazy calf that they made out of gold. 
And out of the house of what? That's what God does when He delivers us from our sin. He delivers us from bondage. It doesn't mean we'll never sin again. It means He delivers us from the bondage of sin and gives us His Holy Spirit and gives us the chance to live a much more victorious life. But in eternity, we will be delivered from our sin and have a home in heaven because He is enough. Verse number 3. If we're going to have a closer relationship together, Israel, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor what? For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and of the third and fourth generation of them that hate me and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. He says it again in the end of this chapter. Look at it in verse number 22. And the Lord said unto Moses, Thus thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, Ye have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. Ye shall not make with me gods of silver, neither shall ye make unto you gods of gold. He reminds them again. I want you to put away all other gods in your life. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would do the work that only you can do. I pray that you would speak to people's hearts. I I move out of the way here, Lord. There's a work that only you can do. There are words that can only be spoken by your Holy Spirit to the hearts and minds of your people. So I beg you, please do the work because I can't do it. I am incapable of it. Please do the spiritual work that can only be done by your power. I beg you, please, that you would anoint this service with power from on high. I beg you that you would please fill me and endue me with power from your Holy Spirit. I don't deserve it. Uh, Lord, I, I need it, though, and your people need it. I beg you, please. Move in our midst this morning and help guide my thoughts and my speech, Lord. Give me the words to say. Help me not to say the words you wouldn't want me to say. We pray these things as we ask it in Jesus' name and amen. You can be seated. Now you'll notice if you pick it up in verse number 7 and read the remaining verses up to where we picked it up in verse number 22. What God does after the beginning of chapter 20, is He gives them what we call the Ten Commandments. Now, He bookends the Ten Commandments with this request, if you will, but it's more of a command. At the beginning of the Ten Commandments and at the end of the Ten Commandments, He repeats the same thing. Now, God, let me remind you again, God does not repeat things like we repeat things or for the same reasons that we repeat things. When we repeat things, we often do it because we forgot what we said or just because we want to uh, try to make sure and clarify something. But when God is saying something over and over again, it's not because He forgot what He said before. 
He's saying it again because he wants to emphasize something. So when he says, I want to be the only God in your life. Then he gives them the Ten Commandments and then he says it again. I want to be the only God in your life. And he commands his people to put away all other gods. Now why would this be an important thing to express to the children of Israel. Because remember where they were coming out of. They were coming out of Egypt, right? Is everybody okay? So God delivered them out of what nation? He delivered them out of where? Egypt. What was going on in Egypt? They were in great bondage. While they were in great bondage, they were, they were in slavery there. They were being used to make bricks and to build buildings and things of that nature. They were in slavery there. They were in great bondage. Now, remember a little bit about the culture of Egypt. When we look at and hear about the history of Egypt, they looked at their um, pharaohs as gods. They worshipped them as gods. Are you with me? They believed that their pharaohs were the gods on, were, were their gods on the earth. Many believe that that is why they likely built the pyramids and structures of that nature, because they were maybe supposedly burying places for these earthly gods that they looked up to, who were nothing but men that called themselves God and made themselves God. But they also worshipped other images. And one of the images that was worshipped in Egypt was uh, that same image, we believe, that Israel ended up making out of the gold from their earrings and jewelry and so on while Moses was on the mount getting the, the Ten Commandments the first time. So in other words, Egypt was steeped in the worship of other gods. So while Israel is there, they're there for 430 years, while is approximately so while Israel is there they obviously are exposed to this god worship so as they come out of Egypt we find that one of the first times that they are uh, brought to a point of decision about loyalty to god alone we see that Moses is up on the mount and he's receiving the 10 commandments from the lord and what happens while he's on the mount there the Bible tells us that the children of Israel, while Moses is receiving the Ten Commandments of the Lord, the children of Israel say, we want not what has happened to this Moses character. He's been gone a long time. We don't know where he went. And so we need some gods to help us. So what they did is they fashioned a god and uh, uh, lifted it up and began to worship it. When Moses comes back down from the mountain, uh, he then sees what they have done. He sees their wicked party, their dancing and singing, their nakedness, and he sees all that happening. And then he also sees the calf that they are worshiping, this golden calf. So what does he do? The Bible tells us that he then grinds it down into powder and makes them drink it in a mixture with water. Yes? It says, here's your dumb God, ingest him. So, God was ready to, to destroy Israel over the fact that they had begun to worship one of the gods that we believe they had seen in Egypt. Now, He has them separated from Egypt by three months. And He says, here's what I want. I want you to clean yourselves up, physically and spiritually. And He says, secondly, I'm asking you to put away 
all other gods in your life and make me the one and only God that you serve and worship. The one and only. When we got saved, many of us served other things before we got saved. Sometimes we simply served ourselves. Some people lived for jobs and hobbies and things of that nature. Some people, in slavery to sin, even worshipped some of the sinful acts that they were enslaved to. Now, when we talk about idols in today's culture, we don't necessarily talk about people that bow down and worship statues like they did in these days. Now, there are some that do that today in other religions that worship statues and things of that nature. But for the Christian, most Christians don't bow down and worship images. But when God seeks a person who has become a Christian and draws them closer, One of the things that he requests of his people is, look, you've started to allow the Holy Spirit of God to clean you up a little bit. That's good. And many people stumble at that first request. After they get saved, God says, I want a closer relationship with you, and in order for us to walk closer, you're going to have to clean up a little bit. And so, many people will stumble at that request. And there are a lot of people that as they get saved, and then God starts working on them and convicting them of their sins and trying to clean them up, a lot of people stumble at that first obstacle. And they say, you know what? I want to be saved, but I don't want to have to give up my sins. I don't want to have to live a different life. So, I do want to go to heaven, but that's too far for me. And they refuse to allow God to to begin to sanctify them. But, if you allow God to begin to clean you up, you know what the next request is? I want you to get holy and completely dedicated to me and me alone. As he says in the New Testament, I am asking you now that you're saved, and now that you're allowing me to clean you up and and hopefully begin to take some of the sins out of your life, here's the next thing I'm asking you to do. I am asking you to put away all other things that you have ever served and all other things that you have ever worshipped. And I'm asking for your absolute 100% dedication. And he says in the New Testament in one place, he says, I am asking for you to make yourself a living sacrifice. A holy sacrifice. Acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service. In other words, it's just reasonable for us to dedicate ourselves wholly to God and die to everything else and say, I'm going to now be loyal to you and you alone. But this is one of the most difficult points of our walk closer to God. Because when God brings us here, He starts asking for us to put Him before our extra time at work and see if we can trust Him or not. 
He's asking for us to put Him before all other things. So, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter number 10 that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, uh, but rather that when God's people are assembling together that we as Christians are supposed to be there. My grandmother believed this so much that when she got saved, she was on the verge of, she actually she had just made enough points, she was a really good bowler. And she was bowling on the amateur circuit. And she, this was in Indiana, and she got so good at it and had earned so many points that she had earned enough points to go pro in bowling. I grew up watching bowling at my grandma's house. When we'd go over to grandma's house, she'd have bowling on the TV. And now I have this taste for bowling, and I'll watch it every now and then, and my family hates it. They're like, this is so boring. I'm like, no, do you have any idea how hard it is to do what they're doing? This is awesome. <laughs> But my grandmother, you see, when she got saved, God started cleaning some things up in their life and they, they went through the sanctification process, which happens little by little, obviously, but my grandmother was a, a chain smoker. She had a, she had a cigarette in every room. And when she would go to every room, she'd pick it up out of the ashtray and smoke it, put it down. When she'd go to the next room, there'd be one there. She'd pick it up and smoke it. She was a chain smoker. Her and my, my grandfather fought constantly, constantly the threats of divorce. Cusser, smoker, drinker, gambler. They'd stay up all night on Saturday nights gambling the night away when their kids, well, when my aunt would, would wake up and go to church all by herself because the church bus was coming to pick her up. My grand, grandmother was under such conviction when, when uh, my aunt started going to church that she would, on Saturday nights, while she and her friends were at partying at the house, she would take my aunt's only dress, the only one that she owned, and she knew my, my aunt wanted to wear a dress to church, so the only dress that my aunt owned when she was 10 years old, if I remember right, or 11 years old, and she would bury it at the bottom of the hamper so that hopefully when my aunt got up all by herself on Sunday morning while they were all getting over their drunken stupor and over their party, that maybe my aunt would be discouraged from going to church because her dress was dirty. And as an 11-year-old girl, my aunt would get up and she would wash her own dress all by herself and dry it and put it on and go to church and hop on the church bus. Eventually, my, my, my aunt's 12th birthday rolled around and she had been going to church her whole, uh, th this whole time by herself, none of the family going with her, mom and dad not going with her. My, my, my dad was a hippie. And he, was, he said, I, I wasn't good enough at sports to make any of the, the athletic teams. I wasn't on the basketball team or the football team, he said, but I was on the smoking team. Long-haired, and he said, they would gather around the flagpole and smoke before school and smoke after school. He said, we were the smoking team. Well, my dad was a hippie. He didn't want to go to church. And my, my aunt, for her 12th birthday, she just asked for one thing. My grandfather owned a car lot. He owned apartments in the, in the community. And he only had an 8th grade education. He just, he just that stuff kind of, he worked hard and that's, that's what he ended up with. He, he, he could take care of his family at that point. And he said, he said, honey, I'll get you whatever you want for your birthday. She said, the only thing I want is for my family to go to church with me. And he said, my grandfather said, honey, you know we're, we're, we're God-fearing people here, but we're not church people. We're not going to church with you. I'll, you, you ask for anything else, I'll get you whatever, she want, whatever you want. She said, Dad, that's all I want. I want my family to go to church with me. He said, all right. If that's the only thing you want, I'll go to church with you. You've heard me tell this story before. My, my, my dad said, I'm not going to church. A bunch of, sissy, bunch of sissies over there. 
My grandfather said, well, son, if you don't want to go to church, that's fine, but you can find yourself a new place to live. My dad said at that point I really felt the Holy Spirit moving in my heart and decided it was good to go to church that day. My grandmother was a chain smoker. When she got saved, my grandfather didn't get saved yet. And he watched what was going on in her life and they used to fight and argue all the time and she'd cuss him out all the time and he'd cuss her out and they'd, they just had a time. Grandpa didn't get saved right away but he started noticing something and one day he went to church and my grandmother was getting baptized and she didn't want to go up there by himself so he went with her and they took my grandmother over to the side to get her ready for, for baptism. My grandfather was left standing up there at the altar all by himself. preacher came down from the platform and he said, Sir, why have you come? Well, he was really just there to escort my grandmother, but at the same time he said the Holy Spirit of God began to get a hold of my heart. And he looked at that preacher and he said, I don't know what my family just got, but if it will make my hippie son cut his hair and start respecting me, and if it will make my wife stop smoking, and stop arguing with me and stop cussing and acting the way she's been acting. I don't know what they got, but I need what they got. God started cleaning them up. Crazy people. And they hung on to a lot of that honoriness as they got older. But they got saved out of such depths of sin. Some of you might wonder why I have a soft heart towards hard and hurting people. That's one of the reasons. I had the privilege of growing up in a Christian home, but every time we go back to a family reunion, I'd see the ones that didn't get saved and what God brought my family out of. And so I guess maybe I'm a little more willing every now and then to put up with ornery people because my grandparents were still ornery. But my grandfather became a, a deacon and a bus driver. My grandmother became a bus captain. And While God's cleaning them up, the preacher said you should never miss church. Dr. Don Camp was their pastor. said if you're going to really get close to God, you ought to be in church every time the doors are open. Well, my grandmother was bowling on Wednesday nights. And she was just shy of going pro. You know, Wednesday night is the service that people forget. Got more important things to do. But my grandmother said, if Jesus Christ saved me, He's worthy of my time. She gave up her pro bowling dreams. It's not something many of us dream about, but it's something she dreamed about. Why? Because if she went to most of the tournaments she would have to bowl, it would mean she would have to miss, not Sunday, Wednesday night. Amen. She heard the call of the God of heaven who said, all right, I've saved you. 
I've started to clean you up a little bit. But now I'm asking for full dedication. And this is that point where many people stop short and say, that's too far. I can come to church every now and then on Sunday. I can read my Bible every now and then. But when I want to look at my phone, instead of reading my Bible, I'm going to do that instead. When I want to pick up a few extra hours at work so that I can have a little more money in the bank account, I'm going to do that instead of going to the church service. If I have a ball game on Saturday instead of, or in, in, at the same time as the youth activity, I'm going to go to that ball game instead of going to the church youth activity. And one of the problems with this is that the more we refuse to dedicate our lives wholly unto God, the more we struggle with all of our worldly connections that we can't break off. And they little by little draw us back in to what we were delivered from. Because is there anything wrong with bowling? No. But what is going on with bowling is you're missing church to do it, and then you're going to be around the worldly lost crowd who's living in a worldly lost way and doing worldly lost things, and you still have a flesh. And so as you hang around them, instead of deciding, you know what, I'm going to separate because the Lord asked me to, I'm going to keep hanging around my lost worldly friends. Little by little, what you run the risk of is being drawn back into your old lifestyle, into your old temptations, all the things that God called you out of. You run the risk of running right back to all of that because because you have not decided to become wholly dedicated unto God. And as long as you keep some of those other gods in your life, you say, well, what is, what is a God? I'm not bowing down and worshiping anything. A God in the life of a Christian is anything that can take the place of God at any moment. So, something you would do instead of going to church. Did it take the place of God? Did you put it before Him? Hello? Why did it get so quiet just now? Did you put something before Him? Yes, you did. So... Many Christians get so close to having a closer walk with God. And then at the moment that he says, all right, now I want to be the only God in your life. Nothing else. A lot of Christians stumble at that because they cannot give God total loyalty. So they live this half in and half out Christian life. When I feel like using God like a lucky rabbit's foot, when things start getting tough, I'll go back to church. The problem with that half-in and half-out mentality is it will almost always pull you back away from the Lord and you will live in a distance from Him. You'll never have the closeness with Him that you could have if you would just put all of your other gods away and put Him first. Amen. So, what two ways does He say that He wants people to put their gods away? 
Look at it again in chapter 20, would you please? Verse number 5. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them. What is that? Worship, right? Nor what? Serve them. This ends up being a lifelong battle. Because just about the time you put something down in your life that you have loyalty to over God, something else can spring up. Satan is always trying to introduce to us other things that we can worship or serve and create stumbling blocks in our life. And in case you think uh, that I'm preaching only to you, can I use a little bit of a personal story here? I've told this illustration more than once since I've been here. I need to get new ones, I guess, but some of you I don't think have heard it. A few years ago, as a pastor, I was supposed to be preaching a revival. I preached, I think, the first couple nights of the revival, and then I can't remember if it was the second or third night, but I came that second or third night to preach, and as, as the service began, I couldn't explain it, but I did not have a piece about preaching the service that night. And I'm sitting there in my chair and I'm praying and begging God to help. You know, Lord, what do you want me to do? I don't have a piece about this at all. And so the service is progressing and it was actually with uh, Pastor Joshua Johnson that was, uh, has been with us a couple times. And, and I, I, I said, Lord, I don't know what to do here. So I walked up to the platform during one of the songs, if I remember correctly, and I said, I don't know what to tell you, but I don't think I'm supposed to preach. And he said, I don't think you are either. I mean, talk about support from your friends, right? Uh, but he, he, had, he had sensed the same thing from the Holy Spirit. He didn't believe that it was either time for me to preach or that I just wasn't supposed to preach. And we couldn't tell what. And so we just tried to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And he stood up and read a passage. And while he was reading... Holy Spirit of God got into it. Conviction came over that place and He began to preach on essentially this subject, having no other gods in your life. Amen. And He made this statement. He said, a lot of times we feel like, and we know this, uh, uh, we've heard this many times, He said a lot of times we feel like gods are things that you literally bow down and worship. He said, but the truth is, a God can be anything in your life that if God asked you for it, you couldn't give it up. And when he said that, the Holy Spirit of God brought something to mind that wasn't a sin. I, I hesitate to bring it up because I don't want, you know, whatever. It just People get weird ideas when you say these things. But um, I'm not an expert at this, but for years I enjoyed uh, studying in the Indianapolis area um, a system of self-defense come, that comes out of Israel called Krav Maga. And I loved it. I'd go two or three times a week. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And he brought that to mind. And he said, what if I asked for that? And I said, well, Lord, you know I'd give it to you if you asked for it, but I know you're not asking for it. So it's not a sinful thing. So I, but I know, you know, if, if you asked for it, you know I'd give it. And I went back and forth like that for probably five, ten minutes. Lord, you know, you, know, you know my heart. You know I'd be willing to give it if you truly asked for it. And finally it dawned on me. He said, I'm asking for it. Yeah. 
Well, but Lord, it's not a sin. I don't care. I'm asking for it. He revealed to me that there was something I wasn't willing to give up if He asked for it. It had become a God to me. Something that had taken precedence in my life over Him. Is everybody okay? Now, I've got all kinds of points on worshiping and serving. Some of them, I think, need to be preached, but I have not had a peace about preaching them. The mind is capable of comprehending many things at once, but the heart is prone to prefer only one thing at a time. And so sometimes we justify our other gods in our life because we are able mentally to divide what is important and what isn't important. But the truth is, our heart is made very different from our mind. And God isn't just asking for us to understand Him or to learn about Him. He is asking for us to give our entire heart to Him. Because God knows that our heart is deceitful and it is very impossible for a person to have their heart in one thing and another. Our heart works different from our mind. He's not just asking for your understanding. He's asking for your heart. He's asking for your inner being. He's asking for the person that you are to be committed to who He is. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Our heart is incapable of caring for more than one thing completely. We are loyal in our heart of hearts to one thing at a time. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. This means he's pleading with us for total dedication to having only one God in our life. The one who saved us. The one who redeemed us. The one who loves us. The one who helps us. He's saying, I want your absolute loyalty. Don't serve anything else. Don't worship anything else. Follow me and only me. And we will have a walk that is sweeter than you'll ever know. I know, please listen to this preacher, I know what I'm preaching this morning may actually push some of you out the door, and I don't want that. I'm trying to give to you God's Word and express to you that the life that is lived in loyalty and dedication to God is like no other life that there is. And can I tell you something? The Lord has allowed me to have other things once I was able to remove from my heart a desire for that that superseded God in my life. Amen. 
Some of, you, some of you young men would do these ruck hikes and things over the years. Is there anything wrong with that? Probably not. But if God asked for it, could you give it to Him and say, you know what? You're more important than that. If you can do or have something without caring more for it than God Himself, it's probably okay. But when you're brought to that point of decision, where are you with it? Hello? So if you can go on ruck hikes and not miss your relationship and fellowship with God and make sure that in your heart of hearts, if He asked for it, you could give it up like nothing because He's all that matters to you, you're probably okay. And if He asked for it, would it hurt a little bit if it's something you enjoy? Sure. Would it hurt to give up your bowling and your pro bowling career? If it, Yeah, sure. You know, but I've said this before. You know what's amazing? She didn't get to do bowling because she wanted to be loyal to God on Wednesday night. Wednesday night! The service everybody skips. Wednesday night! But years later, she took up shuffleboarding when they retired in Florida while she was being faithful to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night and became a pro shuffleboarder and is in the Florida Shuffleboard Hall of Fame. He gave her back, actually in heaps, what she gave to him all those years ago. Because she had come to a point in her life where she was no longer loyal to that. God had her. And He could have whatever He wanted. Man, this is kind of a different point, but I, I'm just going to brush on it real quick. We have a tendency to serve some things in this life, and we also have a tendency that this generation, and it's not new, but there are some who are too open-minded to other forms of religion or worship. And they're trying to melt these things together with Christianity. And some today are starting to embrace a style of Christianity that is not in the Bible. And it's being melted together with other philosophical and religious ideas. under this idea that's nothing new, can't we all just get along, and so I need to try to understand my friends that are Buddhists, and I need to try to understand my friends that are Muslims, and I need to try to understand my, my friends that are Hindu, and I need to try to understand... And while they're doing that, they're starting to get so confused about their Bibles and what real Christianity is. Can I tell you, you don't need to be entertaining other people's gods. And, and the truth is, we, we, we need to be very careful about where we worship and how we worship, because there are places out there that call themselves churches that aren't churches. And they are preaching another gospel. Preaching another gospel. If you find yourself in a place that is preaching anything other than, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. 
It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now stay with me, Can I, and I need to close with this. I said I need to. I didn't say I was going to. I need to. Um, There are churches around here that call themselves Baptists who say that you can lose your salvation if you don't work hard enough and do good enough. There are churches around here uh, that are Pentecostal that teach you can lose your salvation if you don't do enough good and you don't work hard enough. Is everybody okay? That's another gospel. That is not the gospel of for by grace are ye saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift. It's not of works. My dad used to say it this way. If you are not saved by works, then you also don't stay saved by works. Some people for some reason feel like they get saved by putting their faith in Jesus Christ, but then if you don't live good enough, you lose it. But wait a minute. Then that means you have to work for your salvation. And salvation is not of works. If you have to do anything to keep your salvation, then you are working for your salvation, and salvation is not of works. It is by faith only. Are you with me? It really is that simple. And I believe they are well-meaning, very good people in some of these churches. Catholicism is the same way, but I wouldn't call that Christianity. But there are, there are well-meaning people who truly believe these things because it's what they were taught. So it's ingrained in them. And they can take a Bible verse and show it to you and see, we'll see, and they can say, well, see, what do you say about that right there? That's it. And, and they'll confuse people because people don't know their Bibles well enough yet. And folks will get so lost and so confused on what it means to truly be saved and how to be saved that they end up living a life of, 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 of misery because there's no way for you to stay saved on your own. So people just keep getting confronted with their own imperfections and they finally realize this is impossible. I can't do it. And most people just get discouraged and end up flopping out of those kind of ministries. There is a lot of depression in those types of ministries because there's no peace. There's no peace. They're constantly living with a cloud over their heads going, well, what if I haven't been good enough today? And then they'll throw at you arguments like, well, you just have to make sure you repent and confess your sins before you die. What if you, what if you die in an unexpected car accident, somebody T-bones you out of nowhere, and you didn't have time to confess your sins? What, you're lost now? And how fair is that to a Savior who went through the torture of the cross to be sitting on the right hand of the Father And you come and stand before God like we all will. And God the Father looks at God the Son and says, Son, I know you were tortured. I know that I sent you there for that purpose. I know that you hung on that cross. I know you were beaten to the point where your visage was so marred you, you didn't even look like a man anymore. I, I know you went through all that torture and horror of the cross in order to redeem that man right there. But unfortunately, it wasn't enough, son because he messed up right before he died. Sorry you had to go through all that, Jesus, my only begotten Son. Sorry I sent you down to go through all that, but it just wasn't quite enough for him. He did put his faith in you once, but he also said a cuss word right before he died. So, sorry bud, it wasn't enough. 
Hello? That's exactly what some people believe will happen, even though they won't admit it. That Jesus died for you, but if you're not good enough, it doesn't work for you. Well, wait a minute. Then why send your son to be tortured on the cross of Calvary if it's not still going to be enough? Hello? Why do it? Why send your son to die for the sins of all mankind if it still isn't enough? Hello? When he sang that song, I went, I can't believe this. He doesn't know what I'm going to preach. We haven't had any conversations. Do you understand? Jesus is enough. (laughs) He died on the cross of Calvary for guys like me that will never be good enough. And I get to go to heaven not because of my own works, but because one day I realized He's the only way. And I believed that. And I trusted Him. And He saved me because my faith is in Him. It's by faith that we are saved, not by works. And thank God it's by faith and faith alone. Because if it was by my works, none of us would make it. He is enough. And it is absolutely necessary for Christians to understand that you have got to avoid other versions of worship that are different from what He taught us. God says this in Galatians chapter 1. This is still the the last point, okay? He inspires Paul to say this to the church. Now listen, and I'm done. I really am. I'm done. He says, Paul, I want you to tell the church about these preachers that are preaching another gospel. I want you to warn them. And here's what he says. Paul is speaking here and he says, but though we or an angel from heaven. Why do you, why do you suppose he would have said it or an angel from heaven? That wasn't an accidental statement. You ever hear of any religions where somebody claimed to see an angel that filled in some blanks for them and they created their own religion out of it? Can you think of a few religions like that? Would Muhammad maybe be one of them? Would Constantine maybe be one of them? With the Catholic Church? Is everybody thinking? Hello? But your thinking cap's on here a little bit. Would Joseph Smith maybe be one of them? Did he say he saw an angel? The angel Moroni? Kind of moronic, isn't it? Do you suppose that maybe God knew that there would even be angels that would try to teach another gospel that would try to deter people from going to heaven? Some people say, well, I don't believe Muhammad saw anything. I don't believe Joseph Smith saw anything. I don't believe Constantine saw anything. I do. Anyway, that's a rabbit trail. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which... Those are fallen angels, by the way. Fallen angels. Demons, okay? You understand? But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you. Paul was the one who said, by the inspiration of God, for by grace are ye saved through faith. 
But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you. He says, don't even listen to me if I change what I've already said to you. If any, but though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be the word is accursed. As we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Amen. Why do you think he said this? Because there were forms of worship that were springing up in that day that were trying to melt Judaism with Christianity and other forms of worship with Christianity, and it's still happening today. So I plead with you, understand. God is asking for absolute loyalty, loyalty to Him in every way. And I will tell you, there is no greater life than the life that is lived in loyalty to God Himself. Amen. And once we can honestly say, He's enough. He's enough for my salvation. He's enough for my life. He is truly all I need. Amen. Then it's amazing some of the other earthly blessings that God can heap upon His people when He knows that they won't go, as He says in the book of James, falling after those things as adulterers and adulteresses because they asked for them from God amiss. In other words, you ask God for something, but He knows if He gives it to you, it'll end up becoming a God to you. He can't give it to you. Ask for a million dollars. He knows that many people, if He were to give them a million dollars, they would end up just living for their money and never go back to church. But if God could give you a million dollars and you'd tithe on it plus an offering and continue to be faithful, and if God took that million dollars from you, you'd still love Him, and you'd still go to church, and you'd still be the same person, okay, that's where He wants you. So what did He say? All right, Israel, come closer. First of all, clean yourselves up. Second of all, put away all of your gods, and worship and serve no other. Is everybody okay? Dear Heavenly Father, I beg you please take these truths and print them upon our hearts and minds with the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, there's only so much I can do and say. I have no doubt that in my humanity I have not done as good as I could have. And so I pray that you would do the work that only you can do in spite of my own imperfections. Please imprint upon the hearts and minds of your people the things that they need to hear today. With heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around.